0: I want to begin our time together in God's Word this morning um, first using our imaginations. So it's going to take some imagination because what I'm going to ask you to do is I'm going to ask you to think of a a moment in time where maybe you had a gift that was coming to you or you had something that was coming in the mail and maybe we have to go pre-Amazon for this. That's why it's going to take a little bit of imagination where you couldn't just check the tracking order to see when it was going to get there but you had to go and check and see if it was in the mail. And so you have this gift that's coming. You know it's coming. You've been told that it's coming, and so you go every day and you check the mail. And if the mail person is not on time, you know it because you're watching for them. And you're like, you were here earlier yesterday. Why am I waiting today? And so you have this gift that's coming, and you're anxiously anticipating it. And when you get it, there is joy. This morning, we're going to see Jesus is making this proclamation that the gift has arrived. The kingdom of God is at hand. He is here. He's what Israel and the people of God had longed for forever. And now He's here. And He makes this proclamation and people give up everything and they follow Him. Let's look at the Word of God this morning. We remember that we are in our sermon series called On the Road with Jesus. This idea that we see Jesus come and walk in a path that fulfills all of the Old Testament. A path that restores people to right relationship with each other and to God. A path that only the Son of God could walk. And we've seen last week and the week before, both out of the words of John the Baptist and out of, out of the words of heaven that this is the Son of God. And then even out of the words of Satan it says, if you are the Son of God, you'll do these things. Even a challenge. And yet, Jesus was not, did not give in to those temptations because he knew that he had a kingdom that he was coming to establish. He did not need these other kingdoms to be given to him because the Father had already sent him to establish the kingdom of God. And so this morning... We look and we see these are the first words of Jesus that are given to us in the Gospel of Mark. There's got to be something about them that's, that's important. But we see that the king is coming. And we see that Jesus did not bow down to Satan and, and, and try to gain the kingdom because he knew that the kingdom of God was at hand. Jesus the king had come to establish his own kingdom. Will you pray with me this morning? God, I thank you that in our weakness, that in our finiteness, you express yourself still. You use fallible people to, to sing the gospel to each other, to preach the gospel to each other, to come alongside and encourage one another and remind us who our identity is in you, what our identity is in you, who have you have called us to be. God, and so we thank you that we get to do that together, not just in this pavilion, but throughout the world right now, that there are people gathering under the word of God to see who God is and who you have called them to be. Lord, I pray for the other Crosspoint Coast congregations. I pray for Justin, Lord. I pray for strength in his body. as He's not feeling well this morning, Lord, that you would encourage him. I pray for Pinedo, Lord, for Jeremiah, Lord, that the words that, that are spoken would be your words. God, I pray for all the other churches throughout the world, the mission partners that we, we have the privilege of coming alongside and partnering with, Lord, for Wego and for the Fast family, John Minton in South Africa, Lord, and the, the Minton family, Lord, for Tim Gonyer, for the other church plants, Lord, we thank you that we get to tell this story together. And not only with those that are telling it right now, but all those that have gone before us to tell this great story, Lord, you've connected us as the body of Christ to the saints that that were before us, Lord. Even thinking about the disciples today, that's who we are with, and we thank you for that. Pray that you would be honored and glorified in our time in the Word this morning, Amen. So we're going to look at this in three different parts. The first part is fifteen and six, or uh, fourteen. And 15, and really, Jesus is, is establishing with his words what we've already seen him kind of foreshadowing that he is the king who has come. His words are this it says, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. But before we jump to that, the timing of this is not um, happenstance. John is arrested, right? The light that the, the forebearer who had come and was proclaiming that there's one coming after me who I'm not worthy of tying his shoes, he's coming. Well, to come after him, John is then arrested and then Jesus enters into the scene. And he comes into Galilee and his proclamation is this, the kingdom is at hand. He proclaims the gospel of God. Remember, we've talked about gospel. We did a little bit of teaching work in the very beginning, talking about what is gospel. Gospel is good news. How is this gospel of God good news? It's the fulfillment of our satisfaction, what we long for, that we would have a king who would rule justly and rightly. That's the good news of the gospel of God, that we have a king who has come. A kingdom is only as good as its king. We have a hard time processing this because we live in a democracy. So we don't even understand really what does that mean. But, but you know who did understand it? The Romans that, that Mark is writing to. Because they knew if they had an emperor, if that emperor was bad, life could be really miserable. If that emperor was good and righteous and ruled rightly... Then the whole order of where they lived and how they lived was changed. And so we need to be able to process some of that today. If we have a good king, then it's a good kingdom. The kingdom is only as good as its king. And so the kingdom of God is at hand. What does that at hand mean? Like, why? That's a phrase that we don't use all that often. But this idea that the kingdom of God is at hand means you could reach out and touch it. Jesus is saying, no, if you've seen me, if you've touched me, if you've heard me, you've heard, seen, and touched the king. And so Jesus is making this proclamation that's already been made over him. At his baptism, when the, sun, when the, the heavens open and we hear the words of God saying, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased Jesus is walking in that identity, and he's blazing the path for us, knowing who he is, knowing that he's the king. If you're like me, uh, sounds kind of boastful. You're like, wow, you're just going to come right out there, Jesus, and be like, I'm the king. Um, but the reality is, again, we don't understand what it means to have a king and to be a king. We want to be our own king. The reality of Jesus is that in his humanity, he's the most humble man ever. Because true humility is not this downplaying of who you are. It's a right understanding of who you are. That's what humility is. We practice a false humility often when we say, oh, I'm not all that great. No, we have things that God has given to us to walk in, and that's what humility is, is understanding who you are not making more or less of yourself. So who knows better than King Jesus, the Son of God, exactly who he is? And so we have this humble king. A king who knows who he is. And what does this king say to us? He says, "Repent and believe in the gospel." Repent is a word that probably when you hear, you think, mm, "Man, I don't like that word. I don't like repent. I don't like to turn. But repentance is simply calling us to turn from our ways to God's ways. But the reason that we don't like to turn is because we want to be king. I don't want a king. I want to be king. I don't want to be ruled. I don't want to be told what to do. You see, the bad news of the gospel is that there's a kingdom and you're not the king. That's the bad news. It's also the good news of the gospel. There's a kingdom and you're not the king. You and all of your failures and all of your shortcomings and all of the ways that you do things, you are not the king. And there's freedom there. Because the king that you do have is the best king. He's the king who is justice. He is the king who is peace. He is the King who is righteousness. He is the King who is merciful and kind. He's the King who sees those that are on the outsides of His kingdom and draws them in. The good news is that God is the King of this kingdom. The kingdom has true justice because its king is just. The kingdom has true peace because it's ruled by the Prince of Peace. That's one of the names of Jesus, this Prince of Peace. We all long to have peace. We all long to be satisfied. We all long to sit where there's no want, where I'm not thinking about the next thing because I have everything I need right now. That's what we long for. That's that gift we were waiting in the mail for. And the beauty of it is the gift that's been given to us is given to us by a God who knows us. The only one that could actually give us the gift that satisfies and He's done it. And He's given us Himself. You see, this kingdom of God is ruled by the laws of God. We've seen that. If you read the Old Testament, you see that if they were to walk in the laws of God, they would actually have peace and right relationship with each other. If they followed all those laws, because those laws are given out of the character of God, God didn't just make up these crazy, crazy rules No, He made it so that they could have communion and community with each other. And yet, because of sin, they failed over and over. But God always knew that those laws were not what would save them. Those laws were not what would make them right. He knew that He would have to come as God, as the God-man, to set things right. God's law and his rule creates right relationship between you and I. And it creates right relationship between God and I. This vertical relationship can be restored because I have a good king. And I have a good king who's, who has restored that relationship. I didn't do it. He did it. But he's also restored right relationship between you and I. So that we, the subjects, can actually love and encourage one another. He's the king. He's restored right relationship to him, and he's given us the gift of himself so that we can have right relationship with each other. That's, that's beautiful. That's what we long for. If you take a moment and think about your life and the stress, the anxiety that, that that you walk in every day, I would bet that almost all of it can be tied to another person. Can be tied to another relationship can be tied to something where you've you've felt angst and dissatisfaction with someone. And Jesus is saying, no, if you walk in my way, if you live in my kingdom where I rule and I reign, you will have right relationships, most of all with me. But, But a secondary benefit is that you'll have right relationship with each other. So this is Jesus, and he's telling us the kingdom of God is at hand. It has come Repent, turn from your ways, renounce your kingship, see this good king, and serve him and follow him. Believe in the gospel. Believe that this is good news. So this morning we are called to believe the good news is real, that all of this is true, and that it's for everyone. That the reality is that anyone can come to this king, and we'll see how in a couple minutes. Second thing that we see in this passage is 16 through 18, and Jesus is calling his disciples. He says, "...passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him." Jesus, he's not explaining himself, (laughs) He doesn't tell them everything that they're going to get if they follow him. He doesn't tell them even what it's going to be like. He simply says, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. It's a call without promises, except that there's work and there's Jesus. Those are the two things that the disciples hear. So we get to keep fishing. We get to keep doing the work. We're going to fish for something else, and we get to follow you. We get to be with you. promises not the things of God but God himself. And unfortunately, we have a really hard time with that being enough. We have a hard time getting our heads and our hearts around that reality that that God is offering himself and everything that we could want, need or desire is in him. Because I have wants and needs and desires that are not in him. And most of those are my own sin and my own flesh. You see, the promise of the king is that you get to be with the king. And in the kingdom, there's no better place to be than right next to the king. Like, if you're thinking about it, A, all of the banquets are happening right next to the king, right? The king is meeting out his justice, and that happens in the presence of the king. What we want to do is we want to be with the king, and Jesus is inviting the disciples, and he's saying, come, follow me. And for them, that meant actually leaving whatever it was and taking steps behind Jesus to follow him, like follow the leader. So what does that mean for us today? Because we can't take those steps right behind him, and yet we see that we can. He's given us the way. He's given us the path to walk in. He calls us to be fishers of men, that we would have a new desire, that that our desire, we would be so changed by this king and so in awe of his kingdom that we would call others to that. That's that's the the desire of Jesus as he calls the disciples, is come, follow me, be with me, and I'm going to make you into something new. I'm going to make you into fishers of men. You're going to become proclaimers. You're going to become worshipers. You're going to find satisfaction that just can't be held inside that will be cast out to everyone and say, listen, I have found the thing that satisfies. Will you come and see it? Will you come and experience it? You see, fishers and men rejoice not only in their own transformation. They don't only enjoy the way that they've been caught, the way that they've been Enraptured by Jesus, but they enjoy the way they look at their neighbor or their wife or their children and see God work miracle after miracle of satisfaction in them. If we could get our heads around that, this corporate identity that we have as a church, that we get to do this together. That if I see Jesus working in my in my friends' children, I get to rejoice. It's amazing. It's it's miraculous and it should be what I feed off of. What gets me going in the morning is the fact that Jesus is at work and he's changing not only me, but he's changing all of us into image bearers. That's exciting. That's got to be what drives us. And that's what Jesus is offering to the disciples. Come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And what do they do? How do they respond? Crazy. Crazy. They respond crazy. They drop everything, and they follow him. In the midst of what they're doing, they stop it, and they follow Jesus. The third thing that we want to see in this passage is the cost of discipleship. I'm going to read 18 again, and then I'm going to go through the end. It says, And immediately they left their nets and followed him, and going on a little further, He saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants, and they followed him. Listen, the call has come, follow Jesus. And there's no stipulations. Jesus doesn't tell them what they can bring. He doesn't say, hey, I'll give you a couple minutes. There's actually some parables in the Bible where Jesus calls and, and the immediate response needs to be, yes, I will go. I will follow. Simon and Andrew get out of the boat. I don't even know if it was on the shore. We're not told that. But the assumption is that it's on the shore and they get out of the boat and they follow Jesus. In one of the other Gospels, this account is given and they, he tells them to put out further and, and start casting on the other side just to prove who he is, that he is the king, and that all of creation bows to his kingship. He tells them, they, they said, well, we've been fishing all day. We haven't caught anything. He said, just go, go back out there and put it, throw, cast your nets on the other side. I imagine there was a little grumbling. I don't know. But it sure seems like if they'd been doing it all day and they already told Jesus that they'd been doing it all day, they're just trying to satisfy this guy's desires. So they do it, and what happens more fish than they can get into the net. So they call to another boat that has to come and help them. And it's in that moment they realize who this guy is and they follow him. In John's gospel, it talks about this. And they're all the same. They all leave what they're doing and they follow Jesus. But in John's gospel, he calls Peter. And at this moment is when he he tells them that his name will no longer be Simon. His name will be Cephas, P- Peter. So what is the cost of discipleship? Discipleship's going to cost you everything. To follow Jesus means that you give up everything. You give up your job. You give up your vocation. You give up your identity. You give up your family. Because all of it pales in comparison to this king. Maybe he'll get it back. Maybe he'll... That will be one of the blessings that he gives. But he doesn't want that to stop you from from being with him. The greatest gift that he's going to give you is not any of those things back. He's going to give you himself. You will get to be with the king. But before we start taking this, right, and making it about us, what is the cost of discipleship? The cost of discipleship is not what we pay. The cost of discipleship is the good news of the gospel, that Jesus has paid the cost. Jesus has made a way for us to follow him. It's not in our own desire. It's not in our own changing of our minds and saying, yeah, that's a good idea. No, he has stirred something in a, in a wayward, sinful heart by the power of his Holy Spirit that would make following this crazy guy in the wilderness a good idea. Jesus came and He's the Son of God and we're going to see throughout the whole Gospel of Mark what is this leading up to. Mark 10.45 says that the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. You see the cost of discipleship required that the sin debt that you and I owed be paid. It required that this perfect sacrifice, this man who, who did not give in to temptation, who at his baptism is, is the, the Spirit descends upon him and the, and the Father says, this is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. This man walked perfect righteousness and paid a sinner's death on our behalf. That's the cost of discipleship. Not what we give up, but what Jesus has done to call us and to make a way for us to follow him. God, you are good. Who is man? The psalmist says, Who is man that you are even mindful of us? And not only does he know us and, and he's mindful of us, but he gave of himself. He condescended to us, he became human and walked in perfect righteousness, walked in all humility. All the way to death, even death on a cross, so that you and I could follow him. Because that's the only way that it happens, is the good news of the gospel, that God has come, that he has paid everything that we couldn't, that he has done everything that we could not for us, on our behalf. If we are in Christ, we are a new creation. We've been purchased, blood-bought. And now he calls us, just come, be with me, walk, follow me, walk in the ways that I walk. That's the invitation this morning. And so don't think about what it is that you may lose. You might, listen, just like the disciples, they weren't special. (laughs) We're going to see that. They're Pretty ordinary dudes. They have a lot of the same concerns, thoughts that we have. They were just like us. And yet they stopped what they were doing when they heard the call of Jesus and they followed him. He promises that he will make them fishers of men, that he will give them a new identity, a new family, all these things that they thought they were satisfied in, a new vocation, a new livelihood, a new name. Think about that. (laughs) The reality of you think that I'll give up everything, but now you want to change my name? You want to strip away my whole identity like he did with Peter? Peter? And so God will call you, and He will ask you to give up all these other things that would stop you from being with Him. And it's worth it. It's worth it. The cost of discipleship is worth it. It's worth it because Jesus said it was worth it. He went all the way to the cross. There's moments where, in His humanity, He said, Do we have to do it this way? In the garden of Gethsemane, he cries out, not my will, but your will be done. He follows to the point of obedience because it's worth it. It's worth it for him and it's worth it for us. We get the king. We get to be with Jesus. We don't even know what that means, but we're learning and we're seeing it. And the fruit is beautiful. And there's no place else that if you've been with Jesus that you want to be. we follow the king, we'll be called to give up everything and receive one thing, Jesus. You'll give up everything, and all you get is one thing in return, Jesus. And that's enough. You see, this is that gift. This is that gift that we crave, that we were anxiously running to the mail for, that we were waiting on, that we had hoped in. This is a gift that the people of God had longed for, that all the psalmists had sung about, that the prophets had prophesied about, that even the law of God pointed to a way that that people could live rightly with each other. This is King Jesus, and he's come. And he said, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And then he says, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. You see, he's purchased a people, and a kingdom with his own blood. Pastor Jeremiah put it this way in our sermon prep this week. He said, Jesus has come as a servant of this singular purpose to give his entire life to secure a kingdom for those who follow him. We've been given that opportunity today to be with the king in his kingdom. And this isn't the the end of the story. There is an end to the story. Revelations 5-9, I just want to read this. This is... This is John's vision, okay? And it's, it's the end times, and it, he sees that in the end, all of the elders and all of the creatures, when we sing all creatures of our God and King, like all of us, will be before the throne. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth listen we we hear rain, and we 're like, that sounds good, but really that 's not the good. The good is that we get to be with Jesus who is reigning. Can we grasp that? Can we hold on to that today listen and and i 'm not eloquent enough to convince you of that. It's going to take a lifetime of us seeing Jesus and being in awe of Him and seeing how He continues to work these things in our hearts for this transforming work to happen so that we will be satisfied with Him. So that we will be happy with Him. So that we will find joy in Him. So that we will find peace in Him. But there will come a day where all the striving will come to an end. Where even the following of Jesus will... Come to an end because he's going to come and he's going to rule and he's going to reign and we don't have to, we're going to be like the disciples who can actually go to him and touch him and see him because the kingdom will be at hand. And in that day, every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus is Lord. And we'll get to see him for all of who he is and we will rejoice. If we are in Christ, we will rejoice in that day. We will be satisfied like never before. I want you to remember that by his own obedience, Jesus has declared that this is worth it. So when this week, when you think about, God, what are you calling me to? What are you calling me to give up? How are you calling me to follow you? As we think about that, we need to remember that that it's not in our own strength that we follow Jesus. He's already made a way. He worked the gospel work on our behalf through his life, his death, and his resurrection. So don't feel like this is guilt. Don't feel like this is... Something that we have to conjure up. Jesus has done it. Believe that and walk in it today. This morning the call to you is this. Come, follow the King and enter into His kingdom. Amen? Amen. Lord, would You do that in our hearts? God, we're desperate for that. And we're going to leave here and we're going to... Go to lunch, and suddenly we're going to think about what we want. We're going to think about how to build our kingdom. God, we are a people that get easily distracted. We forget our first love over and over and over, and yet you are patient and kind and gracious and merciful to us, and you simply call us again. Come, follow me. Come, be with me. Come, look at the king and the kingdom that I'm building So Lord, today we pray that you would stir that in our hearts. Lord, I pray that that would be stirred in each one of us individually, Lord, and in all of us as a people. That we would remember these things, that we would encourage one another. Lord, and even as we try to come and follow and we hold on to these other things, that we would encourage one another and and speak truth and say, no, you don't need those things because you have a king. You have a king that satisfies more than anything else. Lord, I pray that if there's those here that are hearing this for the first time today, that it would bring joy. That it would bring joy, Lord. God, that they would rejoice in the joy of their salvation and that we together would, would rejoice, Lord, that you have saved us and you have purchased for yourself a people. God, we love you. We thank you for the, the gospel work that you've done. We thank you for the implications that that has for our lives. Lord, that we can live and walk in a way that, restores, that has restored us to right relationship with you, the King, and right relationship with each other. God, may we walk in obedience in that. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.